Hello and welcome to the Rookies F1 podcast. My name is Chloe and I've been a Formula One fan since 2013. My name is Rachel and I've been a Formula One fan since 2020. This podcast started as a way to teach Rachel about Formula One, but now the rookie has become the master. Bit of an exaggeration. Um, Still not exactly sure how a car works, but do go on. So join us as we talk about Formula One. And all of its controversies, because this is the first part of our F1 Controversy Iceberg series. If you're unfamiliar with the iceberg format, the idea is that you take a subject and you break it down into subtopics and place these topics on an image of an iceberg that has several tiers to it, where the further down you go, the more unknown or dark the topics or theories become. We will put the F1 controversy iceberg on our Twitter and you will understand it when you see it. Um, this iceberg was created by at F1 underscore head assery on Twitter. So um, thank you to them for creating it whenever it was. And yeah, I'm very excited. I have a lot of notes ready. I'm very excited to delve into the uh, unknown. Mm. Bizarre. Surprisingly, F1's had a lot of controversy. <laughs> controversial moment who would have thunk who would have thought it (laughs) who would have thought it um so shall we get started where are we gonna begin we are going to begin across the world at the 2019 canadian grand prix oh god (laughs) yeah (laughs) so starting tier one Canadian Grand Prix 2019 this race was won by Lewis Hamilton due to a controversial 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 five second penalty handed to the race leader Sebastian Vettel so by lap 48 Lewis Hamilton had brought the gap between him and Vettel down to 0.7 seconds and then at turn three Sebastian Vettel missed the corner and went straight over the grass when he came back onto the track, Lewis had to lift as Seb had pushed him sort of towards the outside wall. On lap 57, Sebastian Vettel was then given a five-second time penalty for re-entering the track unsafely and forcing another driver off track and stated upon hearing that they are stealing the race from us, arguing that he was unable to properly control the car, giving that as a reason why the penalty was unfair. Now, what makes this quite a significant controversy is probably the iconic moment when Seb, instead of bringing his car to Park Fermi, pulled over into the pit lane, and then when he was on his way to the podium, Sebastian Vettel moved the number one sign that was in front of Lewis Hamilton's car to the empty space where his Ferrari would have been. Um, Ferrari did try to request that the FIA review the penalty, but it was uh, denied. Starting off strong. (laughs) Oh, God. I think everyone knows about that one. That's so iconic. (laughs) It's one of those controversies, right, where um, I think it's only a controversy because Seb did that, moved the one and two. Because to me, I'm kind of like, I think it's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, penalty was fair enough. Um... And, I mean, that stuff happens all the time. Mm. But it's the fact that Seb then took the action of moving the boards at the end of the race, which caused a bit of a stir that has probably heightened the moment. Yeah. Next topic. Rich energy. Oh, no. (laughs) So, in October of 2018, energy drinks company Rich Energy became the title sponsor for Haz. And we all know that Haz have never had any problems with their title sponsors. In July 2019, on the weekend before the British GP, it was announced on Rich Energy's Twitter account, along with a number of other interesting tweets, that they were leaving the team, stating Haz's poor performance that season and the politics and attitude of the Formula One group as reasons why. Gunter Steiner, the Haas team principal, stated that this came as a surprise. 
It also seemed to come as a surprise to Rich Energy shareholders who stated that the disownment of the sponsorship deal was only, quote-unquote, the rogue actions of one individual who they were in the process of removing from all executive responsibilities. Eventually, one day after the 2019 Italian GP has announced that the sponsorship deal with Rich Energy had been terminated. Prior to the Has deal, Rich Energy had attempted to get a sponsorship deal with Williams, but this fell through. Allegedly, former team principal Claire Williams and other senior members were stood up by the former Rich Energy CEO, William Storey, with the Has partnership being announced a few days later. Rich Energy had also attempted to purchase Force India when they were put into administration, with Storey claiming that the deal had been finalised. This, however, was denied by Force India. Rich Energy have since made several social media announcements about re-entering the world of F1, both as a title sponsor and as a constructor. Uh, these were all BS. I mean, there's allegations that they're generally a bit of a dodgy company anyway, so yeah, let's just keep them out of F1. That whole thing was such a mess. It was such a joke. And, you know, <laughs> as far as I'm aware, they can stay out. I don't want them back. Yeah. Every so often, William Story will pipe up on Twitter. And every every time he does it, he becomes less and less relevant, less and less people also, engage with it. How how and on earth so good. is Rich Energy, you know, got the capacity to be a title sponsor when I've never seen a Rich Energy drink in the shops? I've I no mm-hmm. idea, you know, where's the money coming from? <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, it was a mess. Uh, I'm glad they've gone. It is a controversy in terms of, you know, it was drama. But what I think is the most uncontroversial part about it is that everyone is against Rich Energy. (laughs) does not matter if you're a Lewis Hamilton fan, a Max Verstappen fan, a Charles Leclerc fan, a Carlos Sainz fan. No one likes Rich Energy. (laughs) They pulled us all together. (laughs) Unity. (laughs) Next topic. The 2021 Belgian Grand Prix. Oh, God. We all remember this one. So this controversy begins with qualifying, which had been slightly delayed due to extreme rainfall. During Q3, Lando Norris had a significant crash at Eau Rouge with Sebastian Vettel subsequently complaining over the radio about the dangerous conditions that they had been made to race in. Following the event, race director Michael Massey agreed that it was a mistake to let Q3 start when it did. Important to note, during this qualifying session, Max Verstappen secured pole with George Russell in the Williams, getting P2, their first front row start since 2017 Italian Grand Prix, and Lewis Hamilton was in P3, I believe. So, I wish the controversy ended there, but um, unfortunately not. On the day of the race, there were a number number of delays due to the very heavy and persistent rain. Prior to these delays, Sergio Perez crashed during his lap on the way to the grid. Red Bull were allowed to repair his car under the red flag conditions brought by the delay. Race was eventually restarted. However, after two formation laps behind the safety car, the race was once again red flagged. On the grounds of Force Majeure, a common contract clause which allows for removal of liability due to an exceptional event, the stewards suspended the race clock, which wouldn't normally happen. Eventually, two more laps were completed under the safety car, allowing for the results to be classified, cementing the 2021 Belgian Grand Prix as the shortest race. I've got little little uh, apostrophes around race in F1's history. Due to this, George Russell got Williams' first podium since Lance Stroll's at the 2017 Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Half points were awarded as less than 75% of the race distance had been completed. This race was, and continues to be, hugely controversial. As the race laps occurred behind safety car, there was no opportunity for overtaking. Despite this, the Belgian Grand Prix was declared to be a race, allowing for points to be awarded. This had a significant impact on the fight for 8th in the Constructors' Championship, with Williams gaining 9 points. A gap that would be incredibly difficult to overcome for Alfa Romeo. There have been suggestions since... Um, you know what? I can tell I made these notes a while ago because I say there have been suggestions since surrounding changing the rules for minimum requirements for a race, <laughs> but they have been changed. Um, so there have been changes since about 
how many laps need to be completed for it to be a race and it has to be not behind safety car etc um yeah although that turned into a whole other controversy that isn't on here because it was created before this but the 2022 japanese grand prix but i won't get into that uh furthermore spectators at the 2021 belgian grand prix have not been given full refunds as of december 2021 and i believe they continue to not have refunds yeah um it was instead announced that ticket holders would be offered free passes to f1 tv which is notably not available in germany right next to belgium <laughs> um and right. an opportunity to be entered into a prize draw for tickets for 2022 Belgian Grand Prix. Um, as a race occurred, the responsibility for refunds was shifted onto the track rather than F1, leading people to suggest that the race, as it was declared, was held purely for commercial reasons. Oh, it was well, It was absolutely held only for commercial reasons. Few things cannot be called a race. That cannot be called oh, a race. Oh my god, yeah. The fact that it's even called a race is abysmal. Second of all, all of them fans attending, not only did they have to, you know, sit out in rain for hours on end in horrific conditions, Mm -hmm. they also didn't get to see a race. The fact that they have not been refunded is horrific, genuinely. I know, and you think as well the implications this had on the championship. Like I said... Is it this? put Williams above Alfa Romeo and you have to consider the amount of money that comes from where you are in the Constructors' Championship. Yeah. And the fact that Alfa Romeo, you know, without that, I don't know, I can't remember what the points total was, um, but, you know, they could have been in the fight. Also, we don't know what would have happened during the Belgian Grand Prix if there actually was a race. Would Lewis Hamilton have won? Would Max Verstappen have won? Would Lewis Hamilton have dropped back? Would Max Verstappen have dropped back? Which, you know, as we know, would have had a significant impact on the uh, championship because they went into the last race of the season on equal points. So anything different. And it just... Um... Oh, I, d- I just remember watching it. It was awful. Even even Quali, like... Quali shouldn't have gone out ahead the way it did. That was ridiculously mm. dangerous. I mean, I know it's difficult logistically, but the best thing in my mind would have been to reschedule or just to void the whole weekend altogether and refund the fans. But obviously, cash is king, money dominates, and that was never going to be an option. Okay, next topic, flexi wings. Do you remember these? You can tell around when this was made because it is quite heavy around 2021. Um, at the start anyway so during the 2021 season there was a huge 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 amount of back and forth between mercedes and red bull about flexi wings according to article 3.8 of f1's technical regulations any specific part of the car influencing its aerodynamic performance must remain immobile in relation to the sprung part of the car as a result of this the faa has a number of tests to prevent front and rear wings from flexing beyond a certain amount at the Spanish GP, Lewis Hamilton made a comment on the Red Bull's bendy wing on the back of their car, and eventually the FIA brought in tougher tests to me- measure the flexibility of rear wings, not naming any teams in particular as a reason, but stating that some rear wings were passing the previous tests, but also exhibiting excessive deflections whilst the car is being driven. Throughout the season, there was much debate between Mercedes and Red Bull about flexing rear wings and also front wings. The new technical rules were the most significant change of the saga, though, and, yeah. It was sort of just this constant, oh, your wing's flexing too much. No, it's not. And then, you know, no one really got too much of a penalty for it. That happened. I would say <laughs> I would say I'm glad we're beyond that, but now it's all about bouncing floors and... It just never oh. ends. It just never starts. <laughs> it never ends. Okay, next next topic. Oh, you're all waiting for it. So, 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, and we all know what happened. I don't want to talk Can about we it. We're going to move on. Yeah. No one wants to hear about the 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. We're all sick of it, okay? It's on there. You know what happened. Moving on. The Ferrari Vito. So, 
The Concord Agreement is a contract between the FIA, F1 teams and the Formula One group which provides the terms by which the teams compete in races and how television revenue and prize money is divided. The first Concord Agreement was devised in 1981 and ever since this first Concord Agreement, Ferrari have had a written-in veto in any regulation talks. This veto still exists in the most recent 2021 Concord Agreement, and was last used to block a maximum price for engines and gearboxes. This veto is perhaps more controversial in theory than in reality, uh, whilst it may seem controversial that Ferrari demands it as a condition for their remaining in Formula 1, it can also be seen as a voice for the teams. Some figures such as former FIA president uh, Gene Todd have suggested that it should be removed, but we know that it will exist at least until 2025 when I believe the new Concord Agreement will be reached. Um, they've never done anything hugely controversial with the veto, but who knows? I guess the idea of one team having more power, yeah. but as I said, it's... It obviously doesn't... from the fa- On the face of it, it doesn't seem very fair, obviously. But, mm. like you said, in practice, it could actually be quite beneficial for the other teams as well if they're all on the same page about something um, yeah exactly oh, and if they've not used it so far so far in a super controversial manner then because i think ferrari also probably realize that if they did something like that then if you've got every other team against you you know i mean it's not ideal but i don't think ferrari would abuse abuse that power um it's just one of them, in it? Yeah. It's one of those ones where it's like, you know, just rem- remember that it exists. It because exists. one day it it's could there. be like one day it could be like this huge drama that they've used it on something that every other team wants to go through and I think I think Ferrari know that I mean in reality it's pretty futile because Ferrari knows that if they do use it to veto something massive, the amount of backlash they're gonna get from teams mm-hmm. and fans it's just not going to be worth it I don't think so yeah exactly yeah next topic Renault brake bias how exciting <laughs> uh, after the 2019 Japanese Grand Prix both Renault drivers were disqualified from the results of the race following a protest lodged by Racing Point where they accused Renault of having a brake bias adjustment system which changed the car's brake balance without any input from the driver the stewards determined that whilst the system was not in breach of any technical regulations, it did breach Article 27.1 of the F1 sporting regulations which require a driver to drive their car alone and unaided. Renault found the punishment to be unproportionate to the benefit of their drivers, especially considering that earlier in the same season, the Alfa Romeo drivers received 30 second time penalties after being found to have breached the same regulation through their car's clutch software. This is just one of many controversies that highlights issues with subjectivity and grey areas in F1's regulations and their application. And, um, yeah, it's a pretty, as far as the controversies go, it's pretty standard F1 controversy. I mean, there are are three guarantees in life, right? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you know, be born, you're going to die. The third one being the FIA is going to be inconsistent. Yep, exactly. Basically. Moving on. <laughs> next. <laughs> so the next topic is racing point brake ducts. Oh, remember this? <laughs> so this controversy is one of the biggest storylines in Drive to Survive Season 3. So is more well known to newer fans than maybe a lot of other controversies on this list. Um, So, until the 2020 F1 season, you could buy another team's brake duct designs with no consequences. The main issue here is that Racing Point first brought... brought, There's too many B words. Racing Point first bought brake duct designs (laughs) from Mercedes in 2018, um, which were the designs that were used to be... Oh my gosh, I can't speak... I'm reading too many notes, Chloe. That's what's, <laughs> that's what's happening. Um, the brake duct designs that Racing Point bought from Mercedes in 2018 were to be used on 2019 Mercedes. For the 2020 season, Racing Point chose to replicate the 2019 Mercedes by reverse engineering from photographs 
practice which is perfectly legal. The front brake ducts were found to be legal as Racing Point had used them on the 2019 car. The rear brake ducts, however, were found to be illegal as they hadn't used them on their 2019 car. Eventually, Racing Point were fined €400,000 and 15 points from their Constructors' Championship total, a deduction that would eventually make the difference between 3rd and 4th in the Constructors' standings. Racing Point were allowed to continue to use the brake ducts on their car for the remainder of the season, despite Ferrari, McLaren, Renault and Williams pushing for further sanctions. Oh man. I mean, where do you stand on it? Do you think that penalty was uh, harsh enough? Or do you think it was, you know, fair? I don't know. I think it's just a case of there was, like, another grey area oh. in the regs. And yeah, basically. I mean, the thing is, though, if it didn't happen, we wouldn't have got that video of Lawrence Stroll. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't mind it. Just one of those things that happened. <sighs> Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> is a, there's a few of these controversies where it is like... Uh, part of car. Is it legal or illegal? Other people are angry. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's just... Again, pretty standard. Next topic is Adelaide 1994. So... I remember it well. Aus- <laughs> I remember it well, back in my day. Uh, the, Austra- the Australian Grand Prix was the final race of the 1994 F1 Championship, with Michael Schumacher leading Damon Hill in the championship by a single point. In qualifying, Schumacher found himself in P2, with Hill close behind in P3. Schumacher took the lead at the start of the race, with Hill right behind him. During lap 36... Michael Schumacher left the track at the East Terrace, hitting the wall with his right wheels before swerving back onto the track. At this point, it seemed that Schumacher's title hopes were over due to damage to his car. Well, they would be over if Hill knew that he could play it safe and easily catch Michael Schumacher. Instead, he made a dive, attempting to overtake, but Michael Schumacher turned in, causing a collision which left him halfway in the air and then into the barrier. Hill attempted to continue but eventually had to withdraw from the race due to suspension damage. As a result, Michael Schumacher won his very first Drivers' Championship. Damon Hill suggested that the move was intentional, whereas Michael Schumacher claimed that it only occurred as a result of the damage from his bump with the wall. It's impossible to know for sure what truly occurred, but this race will forever go down as one of Schumacher's most controversial title victories. I mean, I wouldn't... I want to. I wouldn't want to say that it was done purposely, but like, but <laughs> it's very convenient. Is <laughs> you know, <laughs> Michael Schumacher wasn't necessarily the cleanest driver. So, <laughs> uh, oh, think man. what you will. Yeah, kind of iconic though. I mean. Would I have done the same in his position? <laughs> I could probably Look, I can't say, say yes. no. I mean, I can't say no. <laughs> I mean, you're never going to catch me in an F1 car, so you can't hold this against me, but... To be fair, I don't know if this comes up later um, in the iceberg, but then wasn't it um, 90... When did Jacques Villeneuve win? Was it 97? When he tried to do the same thing or something similar to Villeneuve, and then got banned for like a chunk of the next season so like you can't just crash into people in order to win the title you can't just you know take others out to benefit yourself <laughs> exactly beautiful <laughs> ah no i know exactly it's just you know just racing isn't it next topic das During pre-season testing of the 2020 season, Mercedes unveiled their brand new steering system, DAS, which stands for Dual Axis Steering. This allowed the Mercedes driver to change the toe angle of the car by pushing their steering wheel in. The legality of the system was questioned by a number of teams, most notably Red Bull, who launched a protest. They argued that by observation of the video footage from FP2, use of DAS was not every lap and isolated to in slash out or recharge laps. Thus, it was not a system necessary for use in timed laps, rendering the primary purpose to be something other than steering. The technical regulations do allow multiple steering systems. 
RBR contenter steering system should have the primary purpose of being able to steer the car. A secondary system that is on its own incapable of steering the car is an unnecessary system. Bit of a mouthful. This protest was, however, rejected by the FIA, who stated that DAS was a legitimate part of the steering system, and Mercedes were allowed to use the DAS system for the rest of the 2020 season. It was, though, made illegal from the 2021 se- uh, season onwards. <laughs> DAS is hilarious. I'm a big fan of DAS, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I do. I, I just think it's quite satisfying to watch it. I mean, I don't know if it's the safest thing, being able to ma- manoeuvre the steering wheel whilst driving at such speeds, but I just, when it first happened, the astoundment on everyone's faces. <laughs> Did that steering wheel just move? <laughs> but in 2020, Mercedes was a different beast. Like. It was unhinged. It was... Oh. Um, but it, it's also the first of uh, a fair few controversies on this list where you basically got a team come up with this amazing innovation except the innovation itself is quite expensive might not be replicate other teams might not be able to replicate it or might not be able to replicate it safe uh, safely so it gets taken off like made illegal for the next season but they can't they're like can't do anything about it now because like (laughs) it's a good idea (laughs) right next topic suzuka 1989 and 1990 so, during both the 1989 and 1990 seasons, the Japanese Grand Prix was held as the penultimate race of the season, and Ayrton Senna and Alan Prost came into the race as championship contenders. Also, during both these races, Senna and Prost had a collision that ultimately decided the championship. In 1989, they collided on lap 47 at the final chicane. While Prost braked for the corner, Senna used the opportunity to dive alongside. He was, however, blocked when Prost moved his car across the track, culminating in a collision. When both cars came to a stop in the escape road, Prost got out of his car, having been leading the championship prior to the race. Senna, however, asked the marshals to push him down the escape road, allowing him to restart his engine, come into the pit lane to replace his front wing, and rejoin the race only five seconds behind the race leader, soon passing him to eventually win the race. He was, though, disqualified after the race for cutting the chicane despite not gaining a competitive advantage, a viewpoint argued by McLaren and Senna. They appealed, but this ended up adding insult to injury as Senna was handed a fine and a six-month suspension, being labelled a dangerous driver by the FIA. Due to Prosper points total, Senna could no longer catch him for the title after this race. Senna and many of his fans believe that favouritism played a part in the decision due to the friendly relationship between Prost and FISA president Jean-Marie Belest. Belest. I, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that. Belestre? It's spelt Belestre, but if it's French, then it'll be like Belestre. Sorry. I'll carry on. Senna also contemplated leaving the sport as a result of this. However, little did he know that only a year later he would get his revenge. In the very first corner of the 1990 Japanese Grand Prix, Senna and Prost crashed when Prost took the lead from P2 and Senna attempted to take the inside line. In an opposite scenario from the previous season, this crash meant that Prost could no longer overtake Senna in the Drivers' Championship. Prost was obviously fuming over the crash, describing Senna as a man without value, almost retiring from the sport, much like Senna had threatened to do a year prior. Whilst these events were hugely controversial at the time, they helped now to cement one of the greatest rivalries, if not the greatest rivalry the sport has ever seen. What a duo. I know, honestly. Imagine watching that. I can't really (sighs) imagine it, to be fair. No. It was back in the day. It's just insane. Before our time. Also, I know, it's it's just... Such oh. a heavy penalty. A six-month suspension. <laughs> Imagine Jeez. Twitter during the Prost Senna days. <laughs> you wouldn't see that nowadays. No, certainly not. There'd be pitchforks Ooh, and, and everything. It would be. It would be. Imagine that Max and Lewis. <laughs> I've just noticed what the next topic is, and it's a point that I went to earlier. So strap yourself in, we're talking about Jerez 97. 
The 1997 European Grand Prix was the final race of the season, with Michael Schumacher coming in with a single point over Jacques Villeneuve in the Drivers' Championship. Whilst Villeneuve was sitting in pole position at the start, Schumacher got the better getaway, allowing him to lead most of the race. Eventually, on lap 48, Villeneuve found himself only a second behind Schumacher. During this lap, Villeneuve attempted to make the overtake at Dreisat Corner when Schumacher, surprise surprise, turned in on Villeneuve. This act was much more obviously deliberate than the incident with Hill as onboard footage shows Schumacher twitching his steering wheel to the left before turning right into Villeneuve. While Schumacher had to retire, Villeneuve's car functioned well enough that he could continue in the race, albeit slower. Villeneuve ended up finishing in third, meaning that he won the championship. Despite the collision being deemed a racing incident by the race stewards, Schumacher was summoned to a disciplinary hearing by the FIA. After this hearing, it was announced that Schumacher would be disqualified from the 1997 championship. He would, however, get to retain his race victories and would not face punishment in the following season. There were also accusations of collusion between Williams and McLaren and Ferrari and Sauber, but the main controversy at this race is certainly the collision between Schumacher and Villeneuve. Michael Schumacher, man. <laughs> what a naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> he was a bit of a naughty boy. That's what he's like. You look at Schumacher and, and Senna and stuff and you're like... Naughty, naughty boys. I mean, they did well though. <laughs> Imagine like... Max or Lewis driving like Michael Schumacher today and pulling off some of them stunts. <laughs> there were like things as bad as they it's are. Like, imagine Abu Dhabi, and the controversy isn't the safety car and what happened there, but instead it's Max Verstappen turns in on Lewis Hamilton, and takes him out, and takes him takes them both out. Like, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't get that. It'd be like they'd be like five second time penalty stick it on immediately without even thinking honestly what a, what a time <laughs> i mean was twitter around during that time probably 97 no no twitter was not around in 1997 <laughs> no <laughs> the newspapers really popped off with that one. <laughs> oh dear Damn, did you see how they described Schumacher in the crossword clue? <laughs> God. That, that was such a painful Gen Z moment from me. <laughs> uh, moving been on. been a time where Twitter wasn't around? Oh my God. <laughs> moving on to the next topic. The Ferrari 2019 engine. So. Oh no. <laughs> Whilst there was suspicion over Ferrari's engines in 2018, the controversy really centres around the 2019 Ferrari engines. Suspicions first arose after Charles Leclerc got his first two race wins at the Belgian Grand Prix and the Italian Grand Prix in back-to-back races. The straight-line speed of the Ferrari was particularly curious, with suggestions of the kilowatt allowances of the engine being exceeded. Red Bull team principal Christian Horner revealed at the Belgian Grand Prix that his team submitted queries to the FAA over the, over the legality of Ferrari's engine. Then, ahead of the 2019 USGP, the FAA issued a technical directive centering on the fuel sensor, highlighting that certain tactics to trick it are illegal. And then, as if by magic, Ferrari's straight-line speed disappeared. To add insult to injury, at the 2019 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, Ferrari was fined €50,000 for a fuel weight discrepancy found on Leclerc's car. Whilst Ferrari maintained that their engine was legal, the rest of the paddock remained unsure. And then the FIA delivered a statement during 2020 winter testing that the FIA and Ferrari came to a settlement over the 2019 Ferrari engine, but the content of this settlement was to remain confidential. Whilst on non-Ferrari-affiliated teams threatened legal action, the FIA stated that it was well within its rights to keep the settlement confidential. I don't the agree Ferrari with that. The Ferrari 2019 engine was... It, 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 was, it was illegal. It was. Like, it was. And I don't <laughs> agree that they, they're allowed to, you know, hide that kind of settlement. I don't think it's fair. But it just makes it seem even more dodgy. It just it's It's so sketchy. It's like, oh yeah... It happened, but we're not going to tell you. It just automatically makes everyone think, 
okay you let him off lightly then that's what what that's what's yeah. going on either uh, that or ferrari have been like ah oh, we'll give you this or yeah you know it just it's yeah, just it's just really it's just i don't like it i want everything to be out there and open and clear and plain to see i know and I'm, exactly I mean, ferrari man come on yeah it's like it's right. now I, it's like i see ferrari doing well something i mean <laughs> <laughs> depends on your definition i mean if they suddenly peak in performance and start doing very well then automatically everyone's super suspicious rightly so mm-hmm. oh it's just such a mess i wish it never happened stupid yeah. stupid 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 so next topic mercedes wheel rims so this is referring to during the 2018 season mercedes introduced a new wheel rim design involving some grooves and holes to help them manage tire temperatures better ferrari queried the design feeling that mercedes were gaining an illegal aerodynamic advantage and believing that the wheel rims were breaking the rules regarding movable aerodynamic devices the FIA did state that the wheel rims were legal, but Mercedes chose to stop using them, allegedly out of fear of a Ferrari protest. Didn't really matter, they won the championship anyway. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> that happened. <laughs> that happened. Next topic, and it's a big one. It's the 2005 USGP. Oh, I so, know about this yeah. one. Yeah, so the 2005 USGP is perhaps one of the most infamous races in F1 history. During the afternoon Friday practice session, Ralph Schumacher experienced a bad crash at turn 13 due to a left rear tyre failure. Due to this crash, he was unable to continue racing and was replaced for the rest of the weekend by the Toyota test driver Richard Zonta, who also suffered a left rear tyre failure in practice. Due to the nature of the corner being a high-speed bank turn, as well as the repaving of the track, the tyres were placed under a greater-than-usual tyre loading. On the Saturday, Michelin, who supplied tyres to seven teams on the grid, stated that it didn't understand why its tyres were failing at turn 13, indicating that they intended to fly in different spec tyres from its headquarters. However, these replacement tyres also had the same issues when tested. Michelin revealed that they didn't know the cause of the tyre failures and could not guarantee the tyre's integrity for more than 10 laps unless the cars could be slowed down into turn 13. It is very important to note at this point that in 2005 there was an absolutely bonkers rule that denied tyre changes during pit stops as well as forcing teams to use one set of tyres for both qualifying and the race. Although, by the USGP, this had been changed to allowing a single tyre change per car if the tyre had become dangerously worn. Stupid rule. Charlie Whiting, FIA race director, replied to this on the Sunday, surprised that Michelin hadn't brought suitable tyres and addressed a number of solutions brought by the teams. These included the use of new spec tyres flown in overnight and the placement of a chicane at turn 13, deemed a breach of the rules and out of the question, respectively. Michelin, in a second letter, stated that they would not let their teams race unless there were changes to the circuit. Whiting replied, stating that no changes would be permitted and teams would be given the choice of limiting speeds through turn 13, using tyres of a different specification to those used in qualifying, subject to a penalty, or changing tyres repeatedly, which would have been permitted if a driver's safety was at issue. Despite attempts at compromise and despite all cars taking part in the formation lap, all teams that ran Michelin tyres returned to the pit lane during this lap, meaning that only the six cars that ran Bridgestone tyres took part in the race, Ferrari, Jordan and Minardi. This came as a huge disappointment to fans, with thousands of fans being reported to have gone to the ticket office to demand refunds, with police having to keep the peace. Boos were prevalent throughout the race, with many fans throwing beer cans and water bottles onto the track. It was a good day for some drivers, though, with the drivers for Jordan and Minardi all scoring their first ever points in F1 and Thiago Montero scoring his first and only podium finish, as well as the first podium for a Portuguese driver. So it's not all doom and gloom. It's not hard when there's only six of them. 
<laughs> yeah, shh. Fortunately, though, unlike a certain Belgian Grand Prix, fans were refunded, though the race did throw into doubt the future of the of F1 in the United States of America. There was also a lot of anger from those within and in charge of the teams with the FIA. Whilst there were a number of calls for the FIA president Max Mosley's resignation, this ultimately did not amount to much as he was elected to be president once again in the same year. Compromising the US's place in, in F1... <laughs> Who would have thunk it? <laughs> the whole thing is just so bizarre. That so weird. It's just. I mean, it's kind of iconic to look back on, obviously. Mm. But that's just mad. That is. Ah. Uh... Yeah. I mean, that's that's why it's good that now we've got sort of um standardized tires you know everyone went uses the pirellis rather than split between the two but you just think like there has to have been a solution but the fia were too like no no we can't change the rules not now (laughs) why would we change the rules oh my god i love the fia yeah top top notch stuff Hey, by this race, Twitter might have been invented, so... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it did pop off. Next topic is the has floor. So this is referring to after the 2018 Italian Grand Prix, Renault protested the has car, stating that they had an illegal floor. Interestingly, this was believed to be the first official protest since Lotus had complained about the Mercedes double DRS system in 2012. Um, I, re- I wish we had that bigger gap between protests now. Um, but the stewards concluded that Hazard's floor was in fact illegal due to a technical directive that had been sent to the teams prior to the summer break. Haz had asked for an extension to work on changing the floor, but were not allowed. Due to this, Roman Grosjean was disqualified from his P6 finish at Monza. Interestingly, though, this disqualification bumped Sergei Sorokin into P10, meaning that he scored his first and only point in F1. I completely this also forgot meant about Sergei. That, yeah, he exists. And fun fact, fun fact, because of Haz getting disqualified and Sergei Sorokin getting a point, meant that every driver that entered the championship in 2018 managed to score points, which was the first time that had happened in F1 history. Again, not all doom and gloom. Happy things. Love that for them. Yeah. Go on, Sergey. I can't believe Sergey Sorokin happened. <laughs> How did I forget? Your eyes have been opened. <laughs> oh, bless him. <laughs> There's plenty of drivers that you'll have seen in F1 Chloe that you've just completely forgotten exists. Probably. <laughs> That's They're just gone from the from the memory bank. Next topic, we've got two more left for this tier. First of those two is Valtteri, it's James. So this phrase has often been memed, not so much now, but um, it was famously used while Valtteri Bottas was at Mercedes to ask him to move out the way for Lewis Hamilton or abort a fastest lap attempt. Its perhaps most famous usage was at the 2018 Russian GP. Valtteri Bottas was leading the race with Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel battling it out in second and third. Vettel managed to make the undercut work, but Hamilton eventually retook second. This came at a cost, however, as his tyres started to blister, prompting Mercedes to ask Bottas to move over and act as a buffer between Hamilton and his championship rival Vettel. This had been the first time, I believe, that Mercedes had used team orders on the pair, and team orders are obviously controversial by nature. Bottas has since revealed that he even considered quitting after that race. Um, yeah, Valtteri, it's James. I mean, plenty it, times. It wasn't very nice to see, was it? No. <laughs> was no. it? Was it him on Instagram recently who posted a picture of his like living room or something, and he's got Valtteri, it's James printed out. In a massive frame <laughs> on his wall. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if there's anything Valtteri Bottas knows, is it's a meme. <laughs> he, he knows it. He will take full advantage of it. Like, I think as well. Like, 
it was horrible um but he's kind of not in I don't want to say embraced, but he's kind of, like, accepted it, but also kind of, like, spun it in a more positive light and he's using it as motivation. Yeah, exactly, I think so. I mean, it's always horrible when you've got a race that you would have won taken away from you. Um, But uh, it's just team orders, man. I hate team orders. (laughs) God, why do they I hate have them. to work as a team? I hope it. Uh, I know. Not, stop. Why can't everyone just be really egotistical be selfish. and you know selfish? Everyone should do a Max 20, Brazil twenty twenty two and just go. No. Remember what he did to me. <laughs> Even if no one remembers what he did to them. <laughs> Instead of having ten teams with two drivers. We should have 20 teams with one driver each. (laughs) (laughs) Just everyone be selfish. Everyone fight. I don't know if if you've heard that. It's crashed. You've crashed. Oh, no. Oh, I did hear it. I did hear it. No. Oh, you're back. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I don't know if you heard me at all. I did. I did. Okay. What did you think about my idea? <laughs> um, 20, 20 teams with one driver each. I'm here for it. I mean, it'd be chaos. It'd, it'd also Kids be a bit. It'd be a bit it. rubbish with strategies as well. Oh, true. But like, yeah. No, it's a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> I've changed Let's my forget. mind. Forget I said anything. <laughs> Okay, so we are on to the last controversy of this tier. Fun fact, going into this episode, we thought we'd get three tiers into this episode. (laughs) And now we're 50 minutes in, and only just at the end of tier one, so... I like it, though. We can hone in on a tier an episode, and... Mm. So, so if you thought this seven juicy, if you thought this episode was rather dramatic and controversial, (laughs) oh, oh, it's only getting more controversial from here on out. Hide away, come in. (laughs) This this episode was nothing. This was nothing. This was like a nothing. This was was just like this was just slight drama that you remember happening recently. We're going deep into the dark let me world. just say at some point epstein comes up so that's where we're going <laughs> that's where <laughs> we're going with yourselves this in. <laughs> <laughs> so the last topic of tier one is monza quali 2019 so q3 of 2019 monza qualifying was red flagged relatively early due to kimi raikkonen having a crash this meant that two drivers had not yet set times when the session restarted, those being Alex Albon and Lance Stroll. Now, it's important to emphasise the power of the slipstream at Monza, uh, which meant that when the session restarted, no car wanted to come out at the front, because you didn't get the slipstream. As a result, the cars only came out with two minutes left in the session, with Renault's Nico Hulkenberg at the front. However, when the cars got to turn one, Hulkenberg missed the turn and took the runoff road, an action that many believed to be a deliberate move to let other drivers pass. Lance Stroll and Carlos Sainz, the two drivers behind Hulkenberg, slowed through turn one in a bid to let Hulkenberg regain his place. Ultimately, though, due to the slowing of the cars, only Sainz and Leclerc made it to the line to start their flying laps, with the seven drivers behind them all missing out. After the session, Hulkenberg, Sainz and Stroll were called to the stewards for driving unnecessarily unnecessarily slowly and got reprimands for said action. Hulkenberg was also called to the stewards for leaving the track without a justifiable reason, though he was cleared of this. I I can just picture them, like the image of them all just crowded around going through. I remember it, it was so stupid. (laughs) So stupid. Um, Yeah. I get like flashbacks as well whenever I. I mean, it's not as bad anymore as what it used to be. Oh, but I get nervous <laughs> when they're all taking their time, and I'm like, guys, the clock is ticking. <laughs> That's yeah. Oh, it's no. so unnecessary. <laughs> it's so unnecessarily stressful. It's so stupid as well. 
I mean, I, I understand why, but you have one job. Yeah. It's uh, <sighs> a silly. But yeah, that is the end of tier one. I think, you know, I think going in, we're mostly aware of these controversies. There was nothing too surprising. Surprising, no. Um, no. Maybe it was quite chill. Quite tame. maybe this has just rejogged your memory. <laughs> no, quite shallow. But don't worry, guys. It will get deeper. You know that we've got a couple of gates that haven't been mentioned yet. <laughs> I quite a few gates. <laughs> I genuinely can't wait. Mm. I'm excited no, for the next looking one. through it it is getting more exciting and there will be ones that you haven't heard of I promise and it'll just oh, They'll each ch- it'll change your life deeper and deeper and oh lovely lovely but yeah this was tier one we really hope you enjoyed it obviously there will be a few more episodes I don't know if every tier is going to take an hour or if we'll be able to fit two tiers into one episode but we're not going to do it now because we've got some IndyCar to watch. So we'll leave you hanging. So that's it for this episode of The Rookies. What are we talking about next week? Tier two. Oh, at least tier two. Maybe two and three, but probably just two. <laughs> if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, then make sure to follow us on our Twitter at the Rookies F one And be sure to tune in next week and have a simply lovely day. day. Alright, bye-bye. See you next week, friends.